Hey guys, Madeline here. As many of you know, we are in between seasons seven and eight of the podcast. During this 10-week break, we are rebroadcasting some of our very favorite episodes. If you are listening to this episode for the first time, awesome. I cannot wait for you to hear it. If you are listening for your second time or third or fourth, I think that is also awesome. These episodes are so meaty and they can take on a new or different meaning the second or third time around. If you would love to chat with other listeners about the content of this episode, be sure to join us this Tuesday via Zoom for a discussion group all about it. And one of the best things about these groups are the friendships being created with other listeners who get it. They've been so well-loved by those who attend. We have three groups to choose from, one that meets at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, one that meets at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, and one at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and they're all on Tuesdays. Hopefully one of these times work for you and you can come and share your thoughts on the rebroadcasted episode of the week. If this is something you would love to join or try out, just tap the link in the show notes and we will get your information and you'll be sent a Zoom link to join. And as usual, there is absolutely no cost involved. Okay, enjoy the episode and be sure to come back next week. We each had what the other one wanted. He had all the attention. Hello, you're listening to The Rare Life. I'm your host, Madeline Cheney. We have had several episodes in this season about the siblings of our medically complex children. One in which I shared my personal experience with my daughter, Wendy, in episode 40, and then in episode 47 with child life specialist, Katie Taylor, with clinical insights. I am so thrilled to cap off that trio of sibling love with Katherine Acton, who shared her story with her daughter on the previous episode. In this episode, she shares her invaluable perspective as sibling to her brother Jonathan with different needs, which experience she sums up at the end as being, quote, like kale. It's good for you, but not always fun. (laughs) But first, we have a new question of the month. June's question is, what has been the most meaningful help someone has given you in regards to your parenting journey? One more time. What has been the most meaningful help that someone has given you in regards to your parenting journey? To answer that and peruse the answers to last month's question about the evolution of our romantic relationships, head to the website, therarelifepodcast.com. There is a link for that in the show notes. All right, back to Catherine in our conversation. I appreciate her perspective so much because we can talk about our experience as parents or the knowledge of professionals all day. But what it really comes down to is the sibling experience, that lived perspective. In this episode, Catherine shares what was harmful and hurtful to her growing up and what she advises us to be aware of, to avoid doing similar things, and to be really supportive of their experience. I have to say, during this conversation, I was taking furious mental notes. I came up with several things that I feel like we're doing pretty well on. 
And then several things that made me a little squirmy because I realized that it's something I need to improve on. So we're all in this learning journey together, as always. All right, let's jump into the good stuff. Hi, right, Catherine. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Madeline. So first of all, I'm so excited to chat about your perspective as a sibling to a person with physical challenges. I am so grateful that you are here to, to give us your your experience and your advice of how the heck to navigate this. So I would love to start off with hearing a bit about your brother and kind of what life was like in a nutshell. Sure. So my brother, Jonathan, is, I would say, tough. Tough is one of the first words that comes to mind. He is a big guy (laughs) and he's physically strong, actually, in the sense that you know, his body has been through more than a lot over the course of his life, and he just keeps going. He's a pretty stubborn guy, and that's just from his sister's perspective, but um, <laughs> he's big, and he's stubborn, and he's slow, is another word I would use to describe him. Mm. So, yeah, I asked him yesterday, I had a phone conversation with him about permission for this podcast to share what his actual diagnosis is and he was enthusiastic he said that Mm. he likes social media and connecting with people and he said it makes him feel less alone um, which Mm. I thought was was probably true for a lot of us so he's not a typical person he is his own self Mm. there's some differences in the way that he thinks And then physically, you know, he has some balance and movement issues that come along with the neurological aspects of his diagnosis. So um, while I was talking to him yesterday, I actually took notes on our conversation because I thought that would be a really good way for people to kind of get to know Jonathan. Um, The first thing Mm. I asked him was, what word would you like me to use, disabled or another word? And he said he prefers differently abled or you know having limitations and not the word disabled Mm. and the direct quote that I wrote down is he said that the word disabled quote shuts it down like a circuit breaker wow (laughs) wow yeah so that's kind of that's very Jonathan um (laughs) so I said um you know what advice would you give to parents who have kids who are differently abled and he said embrace their ambitions <laughs> mm. and he sort of went on a thing about sometimes he would get told no before he even did something and then he says and this is another direct quote i like to prove or disprove i can do something like repelling out of the shed i couldn't do it oh. and that's when i started like laughing because that is sort of a sister inside joke but when he was like 12 we had a shed in our backyard and had like a pulley on the top of it and a loft I guess it was an old barn and he wanted to use the pulley to repel out of the loft of the shed oh my god <laughs> <laughs> he did I mean repelling might be a strong word but he basically fell out of the top of the shed <laughs> so oh my gosh but when he said that like he wasn't making a joke like the great thing about Jonathan is like he was totally without irony that's amazing um, so that's Jonathan 
You know, you say it's hard to sum him up. I feel like, okay, I feel like I know Jonathan at least to some degree. That's amazing just to hear like all his different quirks and his attributes and his awesomeness. And I can yes. tell that you really love him. And I love listening to you talk about him and, and hearing that relationship with him. And I would love to go back to when you were kids and maybe to a uh, more memorable part of your life relating to Jonathan and being his sister. Yeah, I mean, siblings are the people in our lives who actually know us the longest, if you think about it. So your mm. parents, you don't overlap your whole lifespan. You know, you probably don't meet your spouse or partner until you're older. But your siblings know you basically the whole time. Yeah, I never thought <laughs> um, of that. <laughs> so they're like, in some ways, they're the closest people to you. Um, yeah. You know, I've thought a lot about this because parents as we all know, I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast, you know, have dreams for their kids and ideas about who they're going to be. And when you get a diagnosis, it's like this big change in your perception. And, mm. and a sibling is just like, you arrive on the planet and this is a fact of your life, you know, at least for me, because I was a second child, he's three years older than I am. So mm. it's like, there's the sun the moon the stars my parents my brother like this is my world this is what it is yeah. um so I never like had any sense that he should be different than who he was he just was who he was mm. and you know we were close we were especially close when we were little you know but we always had sibling rivalry and jealousy like that was also just always a fact of our relationship that you know we each had what the other one wanted he had all the attention <laughs> and I'm going to say that from my perspective like mm -hmm. you know I'm sure like my parents would be like we gave you attention but like yeah mm -hmm. but like no he had all the attention you know mm -hmm. and there were times you know when I did not feel seen and I did not feel like my presence was being paid attention to. It was all about Jonathan and what he wanted, what he needed, which granted was like kind of a lot. And, you know, I mean, I have a four-year-old and he always wants my attention and there is no limit to how much attention that he wants. And so, you know, from that perspective, I get it. Like, you know, all kids feel that way and that's so natural and such a part of growing up. But like, when you have a sibling that you feel like is getting and is getting much more attention than you, that is a big deal. And so yeah. that was what I felt. And then I can't speak to what Jonathan felt. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think that, you know, he felt that everything just came so easy to me. Like he had to work for mm. everything. And then here was his little sister who just came along and started walking and started talking and you know he once called me and this is very Jonathan and I love this he called me the non-problem child oh my gosh. <laughs> like, awesome. I'm the non-problem child which is so appropriate and also like something I would totally push back against because I did have problems everyone had like everyone has yeah. problems everyone needs their parents to come and, and help everyone needs things and yeah I did have problems. Like, I, how loud do I have to shout to tell you people? Like, I do have problems. Yeah. But they're just never as big as his problems. Right. Know? Maybe that's, like, part of the problem is that, like, we perceive our children that way. Like, oh, this is my child that needs me and has issues that they're struggling with. And this is my child that needs to be okay with me. 
taking care of this other child. And, and you know, every every person deserves to have problems, right? Like, and yes. to have them met and seen and acknowledged. And Yes, yes. And I also acknowledge that it is hard when you have two siblings and one of them has life-threatening needs or something mm-hmm. that you have to attend to. You don't have that much of a choice. But I would say not to scare the parents out there, but your typically developing child has life-threatening needs too, in the sense that you don't want them to grow up and have an eating disorder or substance abuse problem or Mm -hmm. bad relationships. Like it's not immediate, right? It's not in your face the same way that the life-threatening needs of your differently abled child are but your typically developing child has real needs mm-hmm. yeah do you if this is too personal you can defer but do you feel like that you had some of those you know more like life-threatening repercussions no I think I like dabbled <laughs> like I dabbled in various forms of mental illness and I was never totally off the rails but I think that I have had more than my share of anxiety and depression and Mm -hmm. I've dabbled maybe in all the things that I said Um, Mm -hmm. and I think I also on the other hand had some very healthy coping mechanisms which really have been my saving grace at a lot of points in my life and I think for me, what that looked like is academics, because I was always mm. very, very, very academically minded. And that was something that I could do and, and be good at. And it was such a, a safe haven for me. And it was a coping mechanism, but it wasn't a destructive one. And so I would also say, look for those in your children that are typically developing. Like, what is it that they're doing to cope that is positive and encourage and bring that forward and whether that's sports or healthy friendships or academics like it was for me or horseback riding or you know whatever you know what Mm -hmm. is the thing that your typically developing child has to do to channel some of the difficulties that they're facing is incredibly important yeah Um, I think where you say like your typically developing child has these needs too that are very important. They're super important to address and to help encourage those coping skills. And I guess that leads into what were some of the challenges? I mean, I know you talked about um, lack of attention, but what were some of the things that needed coping with from your childhood? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was the hospitalizations for me that Mm. his illness was relatively unpredictable in the sense that like it could be going along great. And then all of a sudden he would be having an acute neurological episode. And so that was very hard as a young child. Obviously it's hard for my mom and my dad. Um, and I feel like that the hospitalization would just, just create this upheaval in our whole family where like, you know, it happened and then we're in the middle of it. And then for maybe like a couple months after everybody's just trying to calm down, you know, mm. and then just when you're kind of settled again, like it happens again. And so that was one thing that, you know, I think was a, a trauma. And actually, you know, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, it's something that I'm working on in therapy and have been you know, on and off, I guess, for a long time. But, you know, with Anna, it's been recontextualized because of Anna's diagnosis. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm making some progress on that. And I think coming to realize too that like my reaction to to having Anna's diagnosis was was informed by that past trauma um, in ways that I'm really working through and trying to heal from. Yeah, totally. I, that makes so much sense. Like you were probably really triggered back mm-hmm. to that place. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm gonna go back to what my family was, and actually, two years later, I feel confident saying that no, like mm-hmm. we're not gonna have the same challenges. And but yeah, that's been a, a journey. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about that. What kind of things are you like, okay, this is what happened in my childhood. I mean, obviously you love your parents, so this is not to like try to dig on them. We all know that they have a very (laughs) difficult thing in front of them, but like what were things that they did that were less than helpful and that you're like, I'm not doing that? Yeah. So the thing, the disclaimer I'll say about my parents is my dad even said this. This is from my dad directly. He said, we raised you with love and ignorance. And then he just like walks away. He's like, there we yeah, go. That sums it, it up. It's done. That is all that I will have no further comment. You know, the love is so important and it totally, you know, to ease your mind, if you're listening to this and, you know, in this situation, the love will shine through. The love will make a huge difference your children will know that they are loved and that Mm -hmm. will carry them through a bunch of you know difficult things and even the ignorance you know like (laughs) like it's okay (laughs) like you can totally mess up but that being said I think you can work to minimize the ignorance and do things in a way that are mindful of both children and Mm -hmm. and of the needs of your typically developing child also. Mm -hmm. Um, I think awareness, you know, of what your typically developing child is going through. So recently I heard this phrase, the trauma of being left out. And that resonated with me so much. It's really obvious the parents are being left out. As parents, you're like, am I going to see my kid graduate from college or get married? Mm Or I'm being left out of these things that I thought that I would have that everyone else around me is having right Mm -hmm. and we feel that as parents and then it's easy to look at your differently abled child and say they're being left out because they're not in mainstream schooling or they're you know they're in a wheelchair and they're not on the playground they can't run there's a million things that you can look at and say they're Mm -hmm. being left out I'm sure with Anna she'll be left out she won't be tall enough to ride the ride you know like there's Mm -hmm things that that are so blatant about that now the typically developing sibling carries that and it's almost invisible or at least it was in my family like people would look at me and say well compared to your brother you're not left out of anything Hmm. and it's like well actually (laughs) (laughs) I am left out because all my friends have a family structure that looks different you know that they play with their siblings in a different way and to my eyes like an outsider just like a really you know happy and healthy and vibrant way to live and and I'm in a different situation where there are hospitals and there are other different things so yeah so you're left out you are left out you look at your peers and you're left out right and you're Mm -hmm. also kind of left out in your own family because your parents are a unit and then for me and my mother my brother were definitely a unit Mm -hmm. and 
And so you're kind of like left out of that because that's such a strong bond. And not that I didn't have yeah. a strong bond with my parents, but you know, the bond between my mother and my brother was just constantly, um, to my way of thinking, like always right out front and center. And so I felt mm-hmm. left out of that. And you're typically developing child carry some of these things and I think just to be aware and to recognize that could go a really long way yeah I don't think that my parents always completely got that about me Mm. um and I see why you know like I said love and ignorance and um (laughs) but I think to recognize their feelings and then allow those feelings to be present and this is what I wanted to say to you particularly after the Wendy episode is you know I think that the fact that you're typically developing child is acting out is a great sign. Like that is a Mm. wonderful sign (laughs) Yay! because as (laughs) I know, right. As annoying and difficult as it is in the moment, like personally, there were times in my childhood where things were so dicey that like, I felt like I couldn't act out. Like imagine Mm. yourself that you're on like this rope bridge swinging above this giant cavern and Mm -hmm. you know it's all about to fall and it's all about to collapse you know that's not a kid that's acting out that's a kid that's scared and Mm. you know that kid folds into themselves and that kid is like very obedient and and that's a traumatized kid and that's in some ways the kid that I was I think a kid that is lashing out and just angry and letting that out it's like let that out good for you Mm. wendy like let it out don't carry it with you (laughs) You yeah feel the feeling and let it be ugly and big and messy and then that's a feeling that you can maybe move on from and i'm like Mm. only only an amateur child psychologist i'm an amateur neurologist amateur geneticist and amateur (laughs) psychologist but like that was my gut reaction when i Mm -hmm. heard that episode is like bring it on typically developing kid (laughs) yeah I when I love when you said the struggles that the typically developing child is facing is just as serious as the medically complex child and I just love picturing that that aggression that really you know stuff that's not fun to, to live with but like picturing that being her her way of processing it in a way like I love picturing that and the idea that she feels safe enough to lash out and and hopefully like our reactions to her to her lashing out is not also giving her more trauma <laughs> yoga because I'm like, Wendy, why are you doing this? And just feeling so much anger towards her when she does that, like to be honest. But like Yeah, I do, well, of I do like the idea that that her voice matters, right? Yeah, I mean I think it's like it's like, let that feeling move through you, you know, and we all should do that more. I should do that more, you know, yeah. when you get a feeling like, ideally, you would let it come and welcome that feeling and saying, this is part of my being alive, you know, that mm-hmm. I have powerful, huge feelings and allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think if I had something to say to Wendy or myself, maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> more likely, you know, about lashing out, it would be like, thank you for trusting me with, with those big feelings. You know, thank mm-hmm. you for bringing that to me. Um, but that's yeah. of course, like in an ideal world and like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. but like, that would be like the, 
dream of how it would go you know and I I get that that's not like the reality of it a lot of times yeah I really do understand that did you did you uh have this probably grief I don't know you know this big ball of negative emotions did you feel like it was geared towards your brother or did you feel like it was more geared towards your parents or maybe just life in general I don't know if there's even a way to decipher that but I mean at different times in my life I probably felt very different things you know Mm -hmm. like as a young child versus as a teenager versus you know my 20s and now you know now it's really evolved and changed because my mother has died and you know, I've moved into more of a caregiver role. So I just, mm. I guess I would have to say, you know, at what point in time are you <laughs> talking about? Because it's all shifts. I mean, the grief is always there. The emotions are always there. I don't know. I mean, my brother and I definitely have butted heads, um, mm. you know, throughout our lives in different ways and different, at different ages and different stages. I'm not going to sit here and say it's like all rosy. Mm-hmm. For me, and probably other parents that have multiple children, like, I think it's really nice to hear that, that as an adult, you know, this many years later, that there are struggles to it and that it's not all rosy and perfect. And I think hearing that is nice because then it takes off the pressure of like fixing it or like making it this ideal thing. Because I think I've felt that, you know, there's a lot of like messages and things like, if I saw this meme where I was like, if you want to know how to treat a person with special needs, just look at their sibling and do what they're doing. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go beat them up. You know, like, like that's just like, it's just so unhelpful to me because I was like, well, then how do we yeah, fix right. this? Like, how do we right, make this right. into what it's like this ideal relationship that you hear about? But I think if you recognize like, hey, this is just a really hard situation and that relationship will be kind of tense and like just so multifaceted because of this huge unfairness going both ways. I think accepting that is actually probably going to be really freeing because you, well, you know, I mean, you stop pursuing well, yeah. that. Why would you hold this sibling relationship to a different standard than any other close lifelong relationship, right? Mm-hmm. They all ebb and flow. They all have ups and downs. You know, in some ways that's really almost to be expected, Right. You know, I think my dad and his brother have like lifelong resentments and they're both, you know, (laughs) come on. Like, what are we expecting here? Like, dysfunction can be anywhere. (laughs) It's It's not limited. You know, like, I think the goal is just to still be talking to each other and still Mm -hmm. be able to, like, like, you know, when Jonathan talks about the time he fell out of the shed, like, oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, we're good. You know, we, we know each other really well. Mm. We can pick up right where we left off at any time. That's never going to end. I'll tell you one mm. really great story. Um, I think about this a lot. So Sam, my four-year-old, has a lot of questions, as they do. Mm. And he, one of his things is like, where was I before I was born? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know where you were before you were born. Like, you just mm. don't know. I don't think anybody knows. And so then it's like, where was Anna before she was born? I'm like, I don't know that either, buddy. And I don't think anybody knows. And he's like, was I with Anna? And I said, I don't know. And I was like, what do you think? And he said, I think I was with Anna. We are good friends. Oh, that is so sweet. <laughs> and I'm like, you know friends. what? Like, I think, first of all, they're, I don't know that I would totally call them good friends. Like, they have their moments too, right? <laughs> 
but I think when I was four, I probably felt the same way about my brother. Like, mm-hmm. like I think we're probably together before we were born, because that would make sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, because we're basically like we're together. We're a thing. You know, mm-hmm. we're a, you know, a, a unit. And uh, and I think you know all that comes after that in the intervening forty years is like it it takes away from that closeness. You know, I knew my brother who has a condition that is stigmatizing before I knew what a stigma is same with Sam like he knows Anna before he knows about why people might think she was different or weird Mm -hmm. she just is and and my brother just is to me and everything that gets layered on top of that is not the fundamentals that's just the the other stuff the fundamentals is that like we're brother and sister Mm -hmm. and um and so I think about that a lot I love that. Yeah, just going back to those basics and like really that the innocence and the I don't know, just that love of a sibling relationship without all the all the you know, the stuff that the world tells you to think or say or you know, that's that's what they know. And honestly, mm-hmm. like it's interesting where comparatively, you know, to us where it's kind of the reverse. Like as parents, like we and maybe less for you because you actually grew up with him, so that's unique. But like where you grow up with the stigma of like people with different needs and different capabilities and stuff. And then to be like, oh, and my child's now in that category where I can see how everyone else reacts to that type of person, you know, and having those fears. And it's just a very, very different situation, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the things that I witnessed growing up that sort of layered on top of that basic fundamental you know me and my brother are you know we're together we're the same and and it's like no the the world affords me different opportunities um Mm. people treat me differently people see me differently and my life has gone on a fundamentally different track Mm. and so you know we drift in kind of different different directions um Mm. so do you have like you said, you know, you, you talked about the, you know, uh, the big emotions that siblings can have and to encourage that. Do you have other, like, advice like that to to help mm. us, you know, to really be there for our, both our children and help that relationship as much as possible? The second thing I came up with is to sometimes and I'll just say sometimes prioritize their wants and needs. So mm-hmm. no one in any healthy relationship, it's not that one person's needs are prioritized 100% of the time. And they need to know and feel that because then, you know, they grow up and they're looking for, you know, a romantic partner and they're like, oh, it feels normal to me to have this person's needs prioritized 100% of the time. That seems right. Oh, yeah. Like, no. (laughs) Run away. (laughs) So, like... I think that's kind of the end game on that is like you want your family to reflect to you your own value and your own prioritization. And I think mm-hmm. that can be really simple. You know, it's not going to be all the time. It may be, it's not a 50 50. It's like a, you know, a 20 80, you know, mm-hmm. or a 90. Okay, that's the best you can do. But like, but try to move the needle a little bit, even if it's something like asking the, you know, sibling, what do you want to have for dinner? Or like, which park do you want to go to? Or just giving them 
a say and like putting them first some of the time and being conscious of doing that. And I think, Mm. you know, sometimes I think it can feel counter to the instinct of parents who are like, you know, my other kid is going through so much and they Mm -hmm. just need, need, need. And and that's always going to be true. So find Mm. other ways to tell your typically developing kid that they matter. Um, love that so that they learn that and that they grow up knowing that super important and then a couple of don'ts Mm, (laughs) one of my don'ts is don't treat the typically developing sibling like a third parent Um, it's really Mm. tempting it's tempting for both sides of it right because Mm. and this will happen when your your child is a little older you know preteen or teenager Mm. but as a parent you have like uncertainties and questions always about your child with different abilities. And so, you know, it's great to have that like eye on the ground, you know, like Mm. you're, you're typically developing siblings at the bus stop Mm -hmm. and they can observe and they know what the kid with different abilities is doing and they see it. They know exactly what you're on the lookout for, you know, whatever it is that you're worried about your Mm -hmm. sibling knows that. And so they are very well poised to like give you a report at the end of the day about you know, what went on. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so you want that as a parent. You're like, this is great. I have this other agent, you know, working mm-hmm. for me and parenting and saying what the sibling might need or, you know. And for the sibling, it's tempting too, because you get attention. It's like, honestly, if I want to get either parent's attention, I could be like, you know let's talk about Jonathan and and it's instant it's instant you know yeah so it's like don't do it it's a big trap so Mm. your typically developing child needs you to be their parent and one reason for that is just so that you can set boundaries on them and you don't lose your authority because once you've let that sibling be a third parent there's like no going back (laughs) being able to say (laughs) like you know I'm putting a limitation on you because you've elevated them to a different position of authority and so so don't do it it's bad it's not healthy oh I feel like that's great insight (laughs) (laughs) such good insight (laughs) and the, the last one is a don't and that is um minimize and protect your child from things that go on in the hospital just keep Mm -hmm. them out of the hospital shield them don't let them see or know things that are going to be disturbing Um, Mm. I personally think like I was way too young when I learned what a spinal tap is and like Mm. yeah I didn't need to know that right there's no upside Um, Mm. so I think any time that you spend in the hospital is emotionally freighted time. And so be sparing. Like, obviously, like, they should visit and they should be a part of, you know, the family. You don't want to, like, mm-hmm. cut the two siblings off from each other completely just because one is in the hospital, you know. Right. But I would say, like, avoid lengths of time. Avoid exposure to knowing about procedures that might be upsetting. Explain things in an age-appropriate way that's important Mm. I think when a child asks a question it's probably a good indicator that they're ready to know the answer but Mm -hmm. they don't need to have a total front seat to Mm. the pain that their sibling is going through so ask yourself is there an upside to my typically developing child seeing this or knowing about this and Mm. a lot of times there just isn't 
Mm-hmm. And then, oh, I thought of the other one that I was going to say. So that isn't my last one. <laughs> my last one is something to do. And that is something that we're working on with Sam actually already. And I wish that I had had this as a child because I've heard about this in the dwarfism conversations in the community that, mm. um, that you need an elevator speech. So something that the typically developing child can say that is short to the point that explains their sibling's illness to people who might inquire or to people who are staring or to people that are just being obnoxious, you know, Um, (laughs) (laughs) something to empower your typically developing child to know how to handle the situation. It's Mm -hmm. like prepping them to go into the game, you know? Yeah. And for Anna right now, where we are is like, you know, she has short arms and legs, you know, and that's, we mm-hmm. haven't, so it's pandemic. We haven't really, we don't see anybody that we don't like know. Just practice like rehearsals, right? This is just like, <laughs> yeah. if we ever were to hang out with people that we didn't know. <laughs> Dry run. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to need that for them going to preschool and kindergarten in the mm. fall, but, you know, empower them with something to say and just let them know that, you know, people may ask and here's what mm. you can say. Um, yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I've heard even like you can use the response of like, you know, their bodies form differently and then like kind of leaving it at that if they don't feel like explaining or getting into it, like <laughs> basically a I'm not going to talk about it right now because I, you know, I think that giving them that license is also like, I don't know. You could do it, Sam. Actually, when we're at a playground and like someone is just totally minding their own business, he'll be like, I'm Sam. This is my sister, Anna. She's two. <laughs> he just waits. <laughs> he waits for their reaction. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I feel like I kind of do that sometimes. I'm like, ask me, ask me how old he is. Like when they're like, the like kids are playing together. Like, I want to tell you. Cause like, I don't know why. I guess like, that's fun to see their reaction. Yeah. Much. It's kind of like, you know, like people a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sam and I are on the same wavelength here. <laughs> so I would love to wrap up with what has been awesome about being Jonathan's sister. It's impossible for me to even think about who I would have been if Jonathan wasn't Jonathan. It's just so yeah. much a part of who I am. Um, I think some of the things that have come out of this for me is empathy I mean we talk a lot about that like that is something Mm -hmm. that I think everyone who's been touched by someone with a rare condition learns Mm -hmm. and develops through that for me particularly because he's such a non-linear thinker I spent a lot of time like trying to understand what he's talking about or why Mm -hmm. you know now I'm a teacher and I think that maybe that urge started like early on of like, <laughs> I'm trying to understand what you're thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that served me really well. It's a bigger and deeper understanding of how people can be and mm-hmm. um, a maturity that came along with that really early. I think that's a really common thing for siblings um, yeah. to develop. You know, I, I carry that with me and that's, that is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, being a sibling of a a person with a condition is awesome kind of in the way that like eating kale is awesome like (laughs) you know it's so good for you like it's got everything (laughs) but it's not always fun and I think Mm -hmm. that needs to be said too but Mm -hmm. um but I would not trade it it's absolutely made me who I am yeah I love that and I love like your realness too where 
you know, you don't have to sugarcoat it. There are benefits, but it, you know, it's like kale. Like I love, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so real. Yes. I will, I'll always think of that now when I have kale. Like, it's windy. Does anybody <laughs> really like kale? I mean, no. Yeah. Like, nobody really likes it. We all right. think it's great. Yeah, you can, like, throw in your smoothies. Maybe add some, like, blueberries in there. Like, that could be, like, our, like, efforts. To make it vaguely well. palatable, yeah. right? We can add the blueberries. <laughs> so, on that note, <laughs> thank you so much for, <laughs> for sharing your experience. So that is such invaluable perspective. Thank you for having me. And thank you for doing what you're doing. I mean, I think this is a great resource for people and I've been listening to it and it's really been great for me too. I love hearing that. Thank you so much. Check out the show notes for links to other sibling episodes in this season and for a link to the website to answer this month's question. You can follow me on Instagram at the underscore rare underscore life for daily musings about life with Kimball and the crew and to learn about episodes as they are released. Join me next week for a solo episode as I share my constant battle between crushing isolation and unbelievable connection in this world of medically complex parenting. See you then. <laughs>